0: Start going, why? <laughs> but one of the things I love about uh, being asked to step in when on occasion is what it does to me. Um, for the past two months since Niall asked me to talk today, I've been asking myself, what's an appropriate topic for today? And it gets me seeking in my own heart, what's, what work is God doing in me? Um, and when I thought about today and the fact that today is uh, the 30th of December, we're leaving 2012 and moving into 2013, it just seemed appropriate to spend today asking the question, uh, what's God done in the past year and what is coming ahead? And to take this opportunity to transition from 2012 to 2013. But as I was thinking about this, Uh I asked the question, what's the big deal about New Year? We call it a holiday, we get off of work, but if you think about it, nothing really has happened on New Year's that's significant. It's not like, you know, all the other holidays of the year that mark some sort of memorable event or honor some person like Martin Luther King or a president's. I mean New Year's really isn't anything other than the switch of the last digit on the calendar. Uh, so I started digging into that a little bit using the great research engine called Google and found out that uh, uh, New Year's resolutions, one of the things that happens, that uh, 62% of the people generally make New Year's resolutions. Guess what percent uh, fulfill their New Year's resolution? Anybody want to guess? Twenty, three, eight percent, according to one research thing I looked at. The top categories for New Year's resolutions, self-improvement, uh, losing weight, making more money, or improving a relationship. I don't know if yours fit into that category. As I looked at other things about New Year's and what's the big deal about New Year's, uh, I found there's a lot of uh, good luck traditions. Uh, all the, a lot of the countries of the world have these traditions. What's our tradition in the U.S. to kind of initiate the New Year? Anybody? Times Square. Square, Yeah, the ball dropping. Woo! (laughs) Boy, that's great. I can't wait to see that tomorrow night. But the other thing is a kiss at New Year's with the hope that that brings good luck. Well, listen to some of the other ones. I love this. I just picked a few. In Sicily, you eat lasagna. It's my favorite food. I'm going to go there for New Year's. That's In Spain you eat 12 grapes at New Year's. And that gives good, year, good luck for the year. In Norway, you have rice pudding and there's one almond buried in it somewhere and whoever gets that is going to have good luck for the year. Uh, this one I thought was really cool. I'm going to confirm with Denise later. Um, but in Wales, at the first toll of the 12 tolls of midnight on New Year's, you open the back door of your house. And all the bad stuff supposed to go out the back door. And the old year goes out the back door. And you got to close the back door and run to the front door. And by the last toll, you open the front door to let the new year in. I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know what you do if you don't have a back door and a front door. but So there's all these traditions. There's these things that we do that are kind of... Uh, uh, mythical or they just they we do them sometimes without even thinking but they bring in the new year. So why is New Year's a big deal? Why do we why do we make such a big deal of it? I don't know if it's because we all want to start over. Love having a start over. We went to a new year, we get the start over and all the stuff we messed up and the last year we can say, okay that's gone. I'm gonna get a start over. I'm gonna do new, this year different, it's gonna be better. Uh, new year's marks the passing of time it's a way to initiate or to to mark time and to reflect and that's the challenge i'm going to throw out for us today but why is new year's january 1st it's kind of weird new year's could be any day because there's nothing really it could be march 1st in some countries and places spring marks the new year that makes sense to me um there's two there's calendars, there's the lunar calendar that the Chinese follow, so their New Year's is in February to us. Ours is the solar calendar, came from Rome back then, so ours is January first. And I checked into that. And where's Jan why January? What is January? Where January, the, the month name comes from this god in Roman culture, Janus, I think. I don't know. Uh but you notice that this god has a head with two faces. One that's looking back, and one that's looking forward. Janus is the God of transitions, the God of new beginnings. And it's from him, or it, or whatever, that we get the name January. So the Romans started this tradition of the new year at January 1st based on this God, Janus. Well, today, we're going to take a look at another big transition in Scripture. It was the transition of the people of Israel from wandering in the wilderness for 40 years to the Promised Land. But before we do that, what I want to uh ask you to do is to pull the little bulletin insert out that's for the sermon. And you'll notice that... Uh, There's five questions on that first page. Before we step into the people of Israel, and they are sitting on the Jordan River, they're looking back at 40 years of wandering. Moses has just died. They've buried him. They've had their month-long mourning time with saying goodbye to him. And Joshua's transitioned into leadership. Every morning for 40 years, they've been getting up, eating manna, having quail, and now, and a whole generation of people have, has died. If you look in Deuteronomy, it says that every person, every male of fighting age that left Egypt died in the wilderness because they doubted God's ability to bring them in when the first spies went in. I just did a little math on that this morning. That means that 68 men died a day during the wilderness journey. One thing you don't see a lot about in the wilderness readings of Exodus and all that is the funeral services. Every day they were having funeral services because 68 people died. There's a few times where they did something really stupid and 15,000 people died in a day. But death was a huge part of the wilderness journey. Death of people, but also death of the old stuff of Egypt that was in them. And God used this 40-year journey to purify, to cleanse, to reorient the people. And now all that's happened. And they're standing on the Jordan River, and they're looking back, remembering all that. If you read the last two chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses gives a big, long sermon, basically at the end of his life, he knows he's going to die, saying, look what's happened, look back. And now they've had that time and they're standing on the Jordan, they're looking ahead, they send spies in, spies run around and say, you know, here's the nature of the cities, here's what's going on, here's who the enemies are, this is the land we're going to overtake. This time they don't doubt the spies, so they're all for going in. But it's a very serious time of change and transition for them. They're looking back and they're looking ahead. And so what I'd like us to do before we dig into the sermon is to take... A few minutes, and the worship team's going to come up again and just play a song. Don't sing with them, but just take a pencil that's in your pew or a pen and spend some time reflecting on 2012. Look at these questions. What has happened in your life, in our world, in the church? We got a new pastor this year. Very significant. Eli and Lindsay left. Very significant. What are the events, the experiences, the people, the losses? If you've had losses in your life, the breakthroughs, what have been the highlights of your year? How how are you different today than you were a year ago? And why are these significant? So just take three minutes or four minutes while they play to jot some stuff down on your paper because this will be part of what we use later on in the sermon. One of the key reasons why uh, I'm asking you to look back is because every tomorrow is a continuation of what's happened today. And even though 2013 comes and we mark it with the change of the calendar and we let a ball drop and call it a big deal, um, really, Tuesday is no different than Monday. And what's happened on Monday bleeds into Tuesday. And so what's happened in 2012 very much lays the foundation in your life for what God's going to do in 2013. So let's look at the people of Israel and see what we can learn from them and how they handled this transition and how it might help and speak to us in 2012-2013. I've talked a little bit about some of this all day. 40 are already 40 years of wandering all the males of military age have died since Egypt except Caleb and Joshua which is really cool because this morning we're going to talk about a guy named Joshua and look at his life but he is one of the spies that went in way back at the beginning before the 40 year wilderness journey into the land and believe God's promises that God was going to give them the land and that they were going to overthrow all these enemies and these huge giant people and take over this land. Ten other spies came back and said, no way, it's too big, we can't do it. And completely dismissed God and who God was and what God had said about what was going to happen. So Joshua is rewarded for that faithfulness and is now here standing on the edge of the Jordan ready to lead the people. The people of Israel have seen God do unbelievable miracles and they're remembering these things. Manna, quail, water supplied out of rock, seas open, and the entire people of Israel walk through it. Their sandals don't wear out. For 40 years they're walking in the same sandals and they don't wear out. I wish we could have that with teenage boys. Commandments have been given. On the mountain, people have been swallowed by the earth. People have been disobedient. 15,000 people dying in a day. 9-11 was 3,000 some. Imagine 15,000 out of a 3 million group, uh, group of people. The cloud and the fire, the cloud was God's presence over the people. And the cloud by day, the fire at night. When the cloud moved, the people moved. When the cloud stopped, the people stopped. I mean, that's pretty amazing. For 40 years, there's this big cloud. And when the cloud rests over the tabernacle, the tent that the people had to meet God in and where Moses went to meet with God, when that thing moves, everybody packs up their tents. And it's not like you know the little eureka that you can... Whip down in five minutes and stick into a bag and throw in your backpack. We're talking like a mini house-sized tent that probably weighs several hundred pounds that you're having to fold up and take the poles, you know, kind of like the Native Americans put it behind the mule and start walking. It's like a major deal to get up and move. Cloud starts moving, you got to do that. Cloud stops, you got to unload it, set it up, and you got millions of people doing this in the middle of the desert. That's 40 years they've been doing this. And all that is about to end. Moses has just died. A man who met regularly with God. Moses would get up and go into the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, to meet with God. The cloud would come down over the tent while he was in there, and it says in Deuteronomy that the people would stand at the opening of their tents and watch the the tabernacle and wait until Moses came out. This has been their life. This has been what's happening for the past 40 years. So let's look at Joshua 1, 1-15. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read it. And then we're going to talk through it here this morning. So Joshua 1, um, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am going to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses." Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. That means take down your tents. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you to the east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them is to be put to death. Only be strong. And courageous. A couple things in this passage just to orient us. First, the first nine verses are spoken to Joshua by the Lord. And then after that, Joshua speaks to the people. And then these last five or six verses to the Reubenites, Gadites, half tribe of Manasseh. What happened is as they're standing on the east side of the Jordan, they were given land on that side to settle. And then the other tribes had to cross the Jordan to take over all this land. And what Joshua was telling them is that you can settle. Your families can set up houses here and settle here, but all the men have to cross the Jordan with everybody else and help take over the land, and then you can come back and settle with your families. So all the men of fighting age helped their families get settled and joined the Israelites to cross the Jordan to take over the rest of the land so, Joshua, in the last part of this passage, is talking specifically to that uh, group of people that got to set up camp there on the east side of the Jordan. So, a couple of things I want to look at. First of all, is the promises of God. If we look at this passage, and this is Israel looking ahead, so this is they're standing on the Jordan, they're looking to where they're going to go, and now they're looking ahead, and here's what God says to them. First of all, in verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea, to the west. God, the first promise, is that He is going to give them a land. He's going to give them a place. He's going to give them a home. They're going to be able to settle, to stop which is pretty significant if you've been wandering around for 40 years. Can you imagine 40 years of your kids saying, when are we going to get there? I drove back from Michigan yesterday, eight and a half hours, and my kids are old enough that we don't get the question as much anymore. Got it about three times in the last two hours. But 40 years of that. And now they get to stop. They get to settle. They get to put up a home. They get to be in a place And God is promising that to them. If you look in verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. So all your enemies will be gone. Notice he's not saying you will have no enemies, you will have no struggles, you will have no battles, you will have no hardship. He's not saying that. He's saying you're going to have enemies, but they're going to be defeated. But you still got to get in the game. You're still going to have struggle and battle that you're going to have to go through. Also, the second half of verse 5, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises his presence. Which is, uh, as we'll see in a little bit, it's all over this passage. But I love this idea of presence. Because these words sound very similar to what Jesus said. In Matthew 28, when He commissioned the disciples, said, I will be with you. And throughout Scripture, we see a God who is present, a God who is with us, a God who doesn't leave us, even when things are rough, even when it doesn't seem like He's there. He is still there. And then the last promise, which I go over to verse 13, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you This land. And it's this idea of rest. If you've been walking and wandering for 40 years and never feeling like you can settle because you don't know when you're going to have to get up and go, you're going to be always moving and a lot of work in moving. And you've been given the promise of rest, that you will be able to stop and rest. That is significant. When I think about these promises, I think back to uh, the uh, late 80s, early 90s when I was leading wilderness trips out at Honey Rock. For about four years, that's all I did. I did about 22 wilderness trips in four years, two weeks, three weeks, uh, all different ages of kids. And there was a couple summers where that's where I did from early June all the way to the end of August. And I was literally at Honey Rock for about six days the whole summer. The rest of the time, it was tents, sleeping bag on the ground. Back then, the thermarest thing didn't exist. Get up in the morning, pack up the tent, either put it on my back or get in a canoe and canoe it. Get all these kids to do it with me. Cook over the fire, breakfast, lunch, or breakfast and dinner took two hours minimum. And I can remember getting to Honey Rock at the end of a wilderness trip for two weeks, and just being like. I'm home. I'm home. And being able to sit at a table, like sit at a table rather than be crouched on the ground or sitting against a tree. Being able to sleep in a bed. It was like automatic rest. My my spirit, my soul, my heart and my body were just able to just rest. And I got to imagine that for people who have been wandering for 40 years, that's some of what they're thinking. I also think about, you know, I make quite a few trips to Illinois with my job. And for the three days I'm gone, nothing like Bob Werner, but um, any of you that travel quite a bit, you're gone for three or four days. And I don't know about you, but even though I know where I'm going and I've been there a million times, I know the people I'm with and what I'm going to be doing, there's always this unsettled thing in my spirit because my family's far away from me. And when I get home after driving six and a half hours from Illinois and I pull in the driveway, it's almost a, ha- it's a habit. I automatically said, thank you, Lord, for bringing me home. And immediately my spirit rests because I'm back with my family. And I've made another 372-mile trip without an accident, without the car breaking down, without something happening to my family while I was gone. I'm just picturing the people of Israel hearing this and thinking we might be able to stop walking. The promises of God, provision, home, victory in the battles and hardships, God's presence no matter what's happening, and a place of rest. This is what the people were looking ahead for as they sat at the Jordan. Also in this passage, we see a bunch of commands of God as they look ahead. In verse 7, God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Go straight ahead. Don't be distracted. Don't get off course. What has God called you to? What does God have for you in your roles and responsibilities? What has God led you to do in the year ahead? Stay on course. Don't get distracted. Don't get off course by different things that happen. In verse 8, he talks, uh, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Again, the verse ends with, you will be prosperous and successful if... In verse 7, it's if you keep straight ahead. If you keep moving. In verse 8, it's if you meditate on the book of the law. If you meditate on my words day and night. Repeatedly, constantly having the Word of God and His commands in their mind and in their heart. In verse 9, another command. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid or dismayed. So when you were thinking back to 2012... There was some probably some tough stuff for people in this congregation. I know of several families, very, very significantly and challenging things what's coming in twenty thirteen what's ahead? We can know some things maybe that are going to be tough and challenging, but a lot of times the tough, challenging stuff is a surprise and we can go into twenty thirteen and be fearful and Trepidation and worry about what might happen and be all panicky. Or we can follow this command. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed about what's coming. Go straight ahead. Trust me because I'm with you. And then in verse 13 to 15, verses 13 to 15, uh, it's wrong in your handout. Um, Moses, or, uh, God says to Joshua and Joshua to the people, the Gadites and all those dudes, you have to go with the people and help them. Even though the, you three tribes have already been given your place and you can settle and you can rest, you have to go with everybody else to help them rest. And I, I think this is just a great example of how, as we move into 2013, we're not going alone. We have the body of Christ. We have each other. We have our family to go with us. And part of the command here is to go with, to support in the battles that lie ahead. So help each other. Stand together. And then we didn't read it, but if you look ahead to chapters uh, 4 and chapters 5, there's two other very significant things. Chapter 4 uh, the whole thing is about grabbing stones from the Jordan River. As they're passing through the river, God tells Joshua to grab each tribe, grab a big rock. It says big enough that it has to go on the shoulder to carry it from the middle of the river. And when you get to the other side, put it up in a pile as a marker, as a reminder to everybody forever about what God did here. So when the children, when your children and when generation after generation see this pile of rocks, they look at it and go, what is that pile of rocks for? You can tell the story of the people of Israel walking through the Jordan River and how God brought them into the promised land. And the fact that we're here and we're settled is because the people walk through the water right here at this place where these stones are. So the command is to remember, to not forget, we need to remember God's faithfulness in the past in order to be able to move forward to today. We don't want to forget about those things. And if you look at some psalms like Psalm 78 and some of the other psalms of uh, in, the, in the book, um, a lot of the psalms talk about the people wandered from God when they forgot, when they stopped remembering. We have these holidays like Easter and Christmas. What's the point? The point of them is to remember what God has done in the past. So remembering the past and God's faithfulness is critical. And then lastly, in chapter 5, once they get across the Jordan and everybody's out of the river, the river closes back down and starts flowing again. God commands the people of Israel to circumcise all the men. Because circumcision did not happen in the wilderness. So the people of Israel, the men of Israel, were circumcised during the days of Egypt. It was a sign. They were set apart as God's holy people. For 40 years in the wilderness, they didn't do it. Now they're in the promised land. And God says, we're going to do this again. So everybody that's not circumcised is going to be circumcised. And you are to separate yourselves from the people of the land. And even worse, it's part of this challenge of setting yourself apart he says and you're going to destroy everybody in the land when you go to these different cities. You're going to destroy everything. And if you read chapter 7 of Joshua, the people of Israel one family actually did not do what God commanded and they grabbed a bunch of stuff from the land of Jericho or the land that they were trying to conquer the city. And the next day when they went to conquer another city, the people of Israel got destroyed got decimated. The battle was lost because people had not been faithful to burn and destroy and get rid of everything in the new land. God was setting them apart. And Basically, what I think this is talking about is remember your identity. Remember who you are. Don't forget that you are a person called by God as you live your life in this new land. Separate yourself. Be different. So, what do we learn about what the people of Israel were doing on the Jordan? They were looking ahead. They were hearing these promises of God for land, defeating of enemies, His presence, a place of rest. They were being given the commands to don't be distracted, to go straight ahead, to meditate on His Word, to don't be afraid or dismayed regardless of what's happening, to help each other. To remember what God has done in the past and bring that forward. His faithfulness is new every morning. And then to set themselves apart. So, let's learn from the people of Israel and ask the question, how should we approach 2013? Well, I'm going to give two points. First, recognize the activity and presence of God in the past and the present. What does the word recognize mean? Well, I think the word recognize, as I looked it up and thought about it, it means to look for, to expect that God's going to do something. To see what God is doing, and then to name it. And what are we seeing? God's activity and His presence. He promises that He is always with us. So how are we seeing God present in our day? What are we looking for? We're looking for His work, for His provision, for His arranging of circumstances and providing for us, for His intervention in difficult situations. In His presence, we're looking for that peace that comes even when things are rough, for security, for this idea of rest. This uh, fall, as many of you know, I was blessed to go to India for about 16 days. And it's kind of a big deal for a North Woods guy to go to India. Never been there before. It's a smidge different than around here. Just a little. So my sensitivity meters were off the charts. I'm in this new place with a new people. People I don't know. Their culture is very different. God's given me a specific reason to go, which was to teach camp, uh, camp leaders. So I'm doing all this preparing to get ready. I feel this great sense of responsibility for what's happening there. All of the sensitivity, listening, watching for God meters are on full. And one of the biggest blessings for me is that each day, partly because of the time zone, time zone change of 11 and a half hours, wasn't sleeping, woke, waking up at 3, 4 in the morning, just laying there wide awake. Um, I had some unbelievable times of reflecting on what God was doing. And I have a journal, and in the journal I'm writing how I saw God work today, where I saw God's presence today. And I was filling three or four pages a day. It was Unbelievable. I've never sensed God moving so much in my life. I got back from India and I had filled half of a journal in India. About that thick. Just writing. Guess what? God's doing the same stuff in our lives right here in northern Wisconsin. We don't have to go to India to see Him at work. We don't have to go to India to see His presence. I think it's because when we go away to someplace else it's a different environment so we're off a little bit and our sensitivities are up but how can we have that same amount of observation and diligence and looking for God and expecting him to work and naming it and writing it down and being aware of it in our everyday lives because the bummer is if we're not doing that we're missing out we're missing out It was so much fun to name all these things where God provided. In one day, I had 19 different significant provision movements of God in my life. And that's happening every day here in the United States in our lives. If we're looking for it, we get to see it. And what a blessing, what an encouragement that is. So as we look ahead to 2013, I want to encourage us to look for, to recognize the presence and activity of God in our lives and to be purposeful about naming those. The passage or the verse that we see uh, in verse 5, it says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses so I will be with you. As I was with you in 2012, so I will be with you in 2013. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Never. God is with us. He's moving in our presence. Are we seeing it? Recognizing is not enough, though. I want to encourage us to think about how we respond to God's work and activity in our life. And I want to take the words that God gave Joshua four times in a few verses to be strong and courageous. So respond. Responding is taking action upon what we know to be true. Boldly trusting If something's happened, we respond with action and with strength, with energy, with applied force, with confidence, with courage, moving forward in the face of fear, in the face of the unknown, in the face of insurmountable odds, in the face of challenge and difficulty. How can we respond and move forward with strength and courage? Well, it's because we're looking for God's activity. Because we're seeing Him at work. We're seeing His presence. And if we saw Him present yesterday 5, 10, 12, 40 times, I can walk forward into today with confidence, with courage, with strength. So as God said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So as we look at 2013, this is the type of attitude I want us to move us move into 2013 with. If you look on the bottom of your uh, handout, you'll see I gave uh, some questions for you to ponder and to reflect on. What lies ahead in 2013? There's a bunch of planned stuff. The family vacation, the go to camp, the do this, the go that, move somewhere, take a new job maybe. What are the possibilities of this year? What might happen? Stuff that you think is going to happen. Um, in a few days, I'm going to go have a, uh, a surgery at a hospital, and it's going to change my life. So I know the surgery is going to happen. That's planned. It's on the books. What's going to happen as a result of that? What are the complications? What are the benefits? What are the changes to my activity? I don't know. So how do I step into 2013 knowing that in three days, something's going to happen in my life that's going to change my life? And those are the words of my doctor. He said, this is going to change your life. I don't know how. But I've got to move forward with Confidence. Because God is with me. Because God is with me. So what lies ahead? Planned possibilities. What burdens are you carrying into 2013? Some of the stuff you wrote about with 2012 hasn't gone away. The backpack is on and you're walking into 2013 with the backpack on with a heavy load in it. How is that affecting 2013? And given these things, how can you respond... And recognize the presence of an activity of God. How, we, how can you live with strength and courage in the year ahead? I want to encourage you and challenge you to take time today and tomorrow to think about these questions as it relates to the year ahead. This sermon is just a sermon that we talk about. It goes in the ears and goes out the ears if you walk out of church and don't do anything with this. So please take time before the Lord. The Packer game doesn't start till three fifteen today. When you get home, take some time before the Lord and ask the Lord to guide your thoughts and answer to these questions. And may the year ahead be a year in which we live with strength and courage. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, Joshua. And his unbelievable faithfulness to you. His uh, belief, Father, that you were with him. And he could move forward with strength and courage into this new land. With a, new, with a people and all kinds of challenges. And I, Father, I just pray that you would help us as we approach 2013. To live with strength and courage. To recognize your presence and activity in our lives over this past year, and in each and every day. Father, I just pray that You would increase our sensitivity to Your Spirit at work, that You would give us eyes to see where You are leading and intervening and providing and connecting, where You are opening doors for us, where You're changing our perspective, where You're challenging us by something somebody said or by an experience that's happening. Father, give us the eyes to see You at work in our lives. Help us to name it so that we can respond with faithfulness, with courage, with strength. So that we can participate more purposefully and intentionally in the work that you're doing in our lives, in our family, in our community, in our world, and in our church. Thank you, Father God, that you do not leave us and you do not forsake us. That You've given us Your Spirit to reside in us. We commit all this to You, Lord Jesus. Amen.